Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. In this episode, we're going to welcome in special guest Joe Daneman, sports anchor for Fox 19 Cincinnati. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Who day? The Unofficial Bengals Podcast is proud to welcome, from Fox 19, Joe Daneman. All right, so once a year, I like to bring in this next guest, an amazing person. It's a real treat to have him on the show. We met last year at OTAs, and ever since then, we've kept in touch. And if you follow him on Twitter or on TV or on any of the things that he does, you'll know that he really is great at what he does. I would like to welcome in from Fox 19, Joe Daneman. Joe, how are you today? I'm excellent, Frank. I cannot believe it's been more than a year since we met at the stadium. It's amazing, though, how quick time flies, uh, especially when you cover sports and the seasons just kind of bleed into each other. And Cincinnati's just been this boom of success here the last several months. I can't believe it's been a year. Man, wow. I know. Life goes by quick. And like you said, when there's exciting things happening, it goes by even quicker. Yep. And people keep asking me, is this is this the best time to ever work in Cincinnati sports? And, you know, I, I try to think back to, look, there's been a big red machine uh, the 80s obviously had two Super Bowl trips for the Bengals, but I, I can't think of a time where we had this much success and success that's built to last. The Bengals are built to last for this entire window of Joe Burrow's career. The Reds are so young and so talented, and they're only going to get better here. So we've got this Reds-Bengals thing going on in the next five years or so. Uh, plus, Major League Soccer, FC Cincinnati, is currently number one in MLS, and they have a young core and a great fan base. So, uh, yeah, this has to be the golden age of Cincinnati sports, and we're right in the start of it. I don't even feel like we're in the middle of it yet. It feels like we're just right in the start of it here at Cincinnati. That's amazing, and, and it's great that Cincinnati is getting its due. You know, it's, it's not as big as your New Yorks and your LAs and your Chicagos, but it's a great city. And now everything's starting to turn around, and it's going to be an even greater city. Lots of fun times for everybody there, and lots of sports coverage for you, I'm sure. And this city, too, has always identified itself as kind of this small town in a big city feel. And we love our high school sports here, and that's always been a big part of what we do. We obviously have two really big colleges, one of the Big East, now one of the Big 12. And that's the other thing to throw into this. UC, University of Cincinnati, is now a Big 12 team. So it's just everything's taking off right now and you're right Cincinnati deserves it we've, we've gone through so long of sports just being overlooked here even though the fan bases are so loyal and they mean so much to this city uh, they've been overlooked because they just haven't been successful and now we're on this cusp of this run here for Cincinnati's two big professional franchises I don't want to be like Joe Burrow the day before he got hurt knock on wood that everything goes okay but I am knocking on wood right now that things continue on the way they are because it's just great for everybody. It's, it's great for the team. It's great for the fan base. It's great for my business for the teams to be as good as they are because people care. People will always care whether they're good or bad, but when they're really good, they really care, and I really care about that. that that's great stuff. And, yeah, the city of Cincinnati and the waterfront area is just booming right now. So, you know, even economically, the city is growing because of the success of these teams. So, Joe, let's get down to business with some questions about the Bengals and sports in general. So, first, 
I know this is the big story for everyone. I know you've talked about it a million times, been asked about it a million times. I'm assuming that you were there for the Joe Burrow injury. What were your observations and your thoughts, and what do you think moving forward regarding that whole situation? So when it first happened, I think everybody expected the worst, and we saw Joe come out to practice with this black compression sleeve on his right leg, and immediately I said to other media members there, I've never seen him wear that before. You know, when he wore the knee brace coming off his knee injury, he had a leg sleeve under his brace, but that was his right leg. He's never had anything on his left leg or his right leg before, his left leg being the surgical leg. And I said to my coworker, I said, he's never worn that before, has he? And he said, no. And so when he rolled out and he pulled up, I immediately thought, well, there was a pre-existing something going on with his leg that no one knew about. I think the worry there was he was grabbing the lower part of his leg. There was never a worry to me that it was his knee. My worry was, was this an Achilles? That was the immediate thing I thought of. But when he was carted off the field, gave a thumbs up, that's when I said to myself, this must be some kind of a calf issue, which it turned out to be. And it doesn't sound like this is, and people are trying to paint this as, as, oh, disaster avoided. And it was a disaster avoided because it's not going to cost Joe his season. Likely won't cost him any regular season games, in my opinion. But at the same time, you know, Frank, we've been talking so much this offseason about Joe Burrow finally having his full training camp for the first time. He had COVID wiped out his first training camp. Then he had the knee rehab wiped out some of his next training camp. And then last year he had the appendectomy. Finally, Joe Burrow was literally knocking on wood the day before this happened that he was finally going to have his full training camp. So to me, that's the big fallout here is, look, he's avoided, quote-unquote, the disaster injury. How much time is it going to take him to be sharp for week one because if several weeks and that's the timeline zach taylor was talking about we still have six weeks plus from the time we're having this conversation for week one of the nfl season several weeks should get him back in time to start to ramp up and be ready but will he be sharp and we saw last year frank that he wasn't sharp the first couple of weeks of the season and it cost the Bengals two games against pittsburgh and against dallas and that's the big concern now when joe gets back how much time does he need of practice to be himself, to be sharp and ready to win two important football games to start the season? Yeah, and, and the defense for the Browns with Miles Garrett coming at you and the upgrades they made on that defensive line and the Ravens overall with a very sound defense, that's not going to be a walk in the park. I guess my biggest fear is him scrambling in those games and re-aggravating it. Like, I think he's going to be fine throwing the ball as long as he doesn't have to really use his legs that much. I'm, I'm hoping he can survive those two weeks and, and just move on from there. My coworker was actually behind camera, running camera, when the play happened. He had a great shot at the moment that it happened. And you could hear several people, if you go back and find it, it's at Fox19Jeremy on Twitter. He posted the video. I think it's been picked up by several of the national outlets. They're using it when they talk about Joe Burrow. You can hear someone in the background saying, oh, cramps, cramps, cramps. I think people were trying to taught themselves into this being something minor and I, I don't think this falls into a major injury category because it is soft tissue it is something he should recover from and you're right there is concern about him scrambling and at what point will he feel fully comfortable fully cutting it loose that'll be to be determined but I think all of us on the practice field look you work in Cincinnati long enough you've dealt with some of these injuries that are just mind-boggling season-ending franchise changing and there's too many to count we've seen them before namely one being Carson Palmer in the playoff game against the Steelers almost 18 years ago 
And immediately those kinds of things flood to my mind because I've lived here my whole life. I've worked here most of my career. So I have this baked in context to what an injury like that means and what it means for the team. And so immediately my mind went to, oh gosh, not another Cincinnati moment. But the second he started playing with his calf muscles, it was massaging that area and gave the thumbs up. I think that it didn't take long, Frank, for people to kind of look at it and see, oh, okay, it might not be as bad as we think. It's not an Achilles. It's not a knee. So this is something that maybe isn't something that's going to be a disaster. So that all played out really quickly. But you're right. It was quiet. There was an audible gasp, not just from the crowd, but from his teammates as well. Who Everybody just kind of stopped in their tracks and, and, and didn't move. And so it was just kind of this eerie feeling. It was just supposed to be a fun time, training camp, with the fans back out there. So, yeah, that's kind of the mood, the vibe it felt. It was just really eerie there on the field for about 30 seconds to a minute. I'm glad it didn't linger longer than that. And he had such a good practice the day before. It was just like, oh, we're, we're on the rise. Everything is perfect. And, you know, of course, nothing is ever perfect. But it looks like we're going to get past this. And your words on it definitely make me feel better. Let's take a right turn here. What are some of the most, maybe one or two of the most interesting sports stories that you've covered so far in 2023? Oh, wow. Now you're challenging me. In fact, 2023. It's funny because last night uh, there was a regional Emmy show uh, that I was a part of for 2022. So everybody was talking about everything in 2022. Uh, but I think immediately when you think of 2023, and this happened right at the beginning of the year, so I sometimes almost lump it in with 2022 because it was part of the bank last season is the DeMar Hamlin story, which was, to me, the most important and most challenging story of my career and just where I was, how I was involved, and the fallout and, and just what we saw from Cincinnati and Buffalo and this connection the two cities had. So that immediately jumps to mind as one of the biggest stories that I've covered so far this year. And then just the L.A. De La Cruz story here in Cincinnati has been such a phenomenon because he is a guy that everybody in Cincinnati has been pointing to for such a long time. And, you know, we put Joe Burrow on this Cincinnati sports mantle, and I was having conversations with people thinking, look, is L.A. De La Cruz this rookie for the Reds who's supposed to be the next huge thing in Major League Baseball? Is he going to challenge Joe for a top spot in Cincinnati sports. So covering that story, uh, his first day up here, within the first week he hit for a cycle, the first cycle in Cincinnati since the 80s when Eric Davis did it. So it's been those two stories to me that have jumped out as two most impactful Cincinnati sports stories uh, that, that we've experienced so far this year. Because the good news for the Bengals, outside of Joe Burrow having the calf strain scare here at training camp, Things have been just kind of quiet for the Bengals. Look, they, they made the splash signing with Orlando Brown. That was a big deal. They made the AFC Championship game, uh, which now is, I, I don't want to say it's expected, but it's certainly not unexpected anymore, the Bengals making that. So, yeah, I would put the DeMar Hamlin story and then the Ellie De La Cruz phenomenon in Cincinnati this summer have been the two biggest stories that I've, that I've covered so far this year. Sounds good to me. Way to think on your feet, because I didn't give you these questions ahead of time. So, you know, I threw a curveball and you, <laughs> you knocked it out of the You're challenging me to think here and, and remember <laughs> things that have gone on this year. It's it's funny, Frank. This is such a day-to-day -day business, and I'm always thinking about tomorrow and what, what we're going to cover tomorrow with training camp happening back tomorrow, and then the Major League Baseball trade deadline is coming up soon. So I'm always kind of juggling what's next. So to think about what happened 
can be a challenge for a local TV guy sometimes. So I'm glad I was able to pull out at least a couple of good talking points. And those definitely were. Uh, let's do this. I know we talked about when I spoke with you last year, you know, basically what day-to-day life is covering sports and doing the job that you do. But let's let's hone in on that a little bit more. What's a day in the life of Joe Daneman during Bengals training camp? What does it look like? Boy, let me give you an example of what Thursday was. So Thursday, we're down at training camp, and our news station, we are on the air with news from 3 o'clock until 7 o'clock, and then 10 o'clock to 11.30. So we're doing five and a half hours of news in basically a seven and a half hour hole. So that that's my life, is, is trying to fill time, give people something new, give them something entertaining from training camp. And so we go on, they don't start coming to us for sports uh, until the four o'clock hour. And we expected an update from Zach Taylor um, after practice that day. And sure enough, practice ends at like 3.56. And I'm supposed to go on right at the top of the four. And so I'm waiting and I'm like, wait a minute, I can't go on the show here without something new for Zach Taylor. So I'm, I have my camera set up in one corner of training camp practice grounds. And Zach is getting ready to talk in the other. So I run over there. I listen to what Zach says. Then I sprint back over to my camera to get on TV. Mind you, it's 100 degrees in Cincinnati. So I'm on TV as a dripping mess. And when Zach announces that Joe's going to miss several weeks, our news station decides to set the entire rundown on fire and almost go wall to wall now with the biggest sports star in Cincinnati now going to be out for several weeks. So I have to balance all this work of trying to be on camera, be on TV, look presentable in this hot weather with new information, and also try to get back inside the stadium to get inside the locker room to get reaction from his teammates. So you would do a report from, say, 4 to 4.05, and they're like, okay, you're back on at 4.30. So then you run inside, you get a quick interview with Orlando Brown. You run back and get on TV at 4.30 with that. And then you go back inside, get an interview with Jamar Chase, and you're back on TV with that at 5 o'clock. And it's this never-ending cycle of running back and forth it's absolutely exhausting. And then, Frank, we had to tape a one-hour Bengals special at 7 o'clock that night to throw into the mix of all of our normal day-to-day news duties. We had a one-hour preseason Bengals special that we had feature stories, interviews, and we were trying to gather all of this stuff at the same time and do all this stuff. And we get all that done. You take a breath. It's 8.30. You get all the early news shows done. You get the special done. And then it's, okay, what do you got for 10 o'clock? And it's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm out of energy. I'm out of material. What, what do I do? And then at 930, the Reds announced that David Bell has gotten the contract extension. And you're like, well, here we go. More breaking news. And it's just this. And, and that's that's a unique day. That's a unique day of busyness, of breaking news, of wildness. But that that's the point. It can change in a heartbeat. I was at Bengals OTAs earlier this summer middle of Bengals OTA practice and the Reds announced they call up LA De La Cruz you pack up and you immediately leave and you go down to the Reds ballpark and you change stories for the day so uh, that's kind of a long way of explaining that my life is just kind of floating in the breeze until someone decides to, to make a huge headline and we have a lot of headline makers now in Cincinnati Wow, and yeah, you have a job that most people would want, but when you think about the effort that goes in, it's a lot of improv, improv there as well. It's not all fun and games from the way you describe it, but you know you do it well, and it's it's cool to hear about it from someone on the outside. It's it's competitive too, Frank, and that's the thing because it's not just you know my station. You know, I'm a Fox affiliate, 
Uh, there's the ABC affiliate, the CBS, the NBC. We're all competing. We're all trying to get the same material, trying to get the same breaking news on the air. And so it's stressful that you continue to keep the audience engaged, but also at the same time, you got to keep giving them something new. You can't just go on at 4 o'clock, say this, and then go on at 4.30 and say the same thing. You have to give them something new every time, and that's the challenging part. That's the stressful part. And the other hard part, too, is you know we're doing all of our own stuff. You know We, we run our own camera. We edit our own stuff. We do our own interviews. Uh, it's, it's a lot. It's uh, physical. It's stressful. Uh, but it's rewarding uh, because you know it matters. And, and right now, it's, it matters more in Cincinnati than it ever has before. Do you have any firsthand stories from last year's playoff run? Because I know you were in the building for that. So my favorite go-to story, I think we'll get a kick out of this. So after the Bengals win the game in Buffalo, and keep in mind what I just said about us doing all of our own shots. So it's myself. There's, we're a two-man sports department. It's myself, my coworker, Jer. So the Bengals win the playoff game in Buffalo, and we're inside the locker room getting interviews. And that was the most joyous Bengals locker room I can remember being in. Because remember, when they made the Super Bowl run, we were out of the locker room. We were doing everything over Zoom. We were not allowed inside the locker room because of COVID. So this was the most joyous Bengals locker room I can remember being in in a long time. Because when they beat the Ravens, there was this feeling of, wow, we got away with one. We escaped one kind of feeling inside the Bengals locker room. But when they went to Buffalo, beat Josh Allen, won in the snow, and they looked really good doing it, you could kind of feel this team. They were lighting up cigars after winning a second-round playoff game. But the story is this. So my coworker Jeremy is running camera. I have the microphone in one hand, and the modern TV journalist has to have his cell phone in the other to get clips for social media because everybody's putting out social media clips as soon as they possibly can. People back in Cincinnati are starving to hear what Joe has to say about the game, what Jamar has to say about the game. So we're interviewing Jamar. Understand, this is a group setting. It's not one-on-one. It's, it's me, five other cameras, ten other people, writers, TV people, national people. We're all in this huddle with Jamar. And so I've got microphone in one hand and my cell phone recording the interview in the other so I can turn that around for Twitter, Facebook, every social media platform that you could possibly think of a local TV person might have. And I mentioned I'm from the Cincinnati area. All my brothers are big Bengals fans. So we have a text chain with my brothers and it starts to get wild. And I can't do anything about it. I forgot to turn my notifications off. So I have my phone on recording Jamar, and all the previews of all the texts come rolling in, and my phone is going wild. And the more and more it gets further into this interview, the more and more my brothers are feeling themselves after the Bengals win, and it's starting to get a little bit crude. Look, we all have brothers. We all have that one text chain that we'd probably be embarrassed if people found it inside our phone. That's my brothers, and that's my text chain. And so they're going ding, ding, ding on my phone. Tyler Boyd comes up to me, puts his arm around me, and goes, "Man, your text lit, your text chain is lit, bro." I said, "I said, Tyler, you should see it if you guys go to the Super Bowl next week and beat Kansas City." So uh, that that's the inside the Bengals locker room story that makes me laugh, that makes people laugh when I tell the story, uh, because that's the kind of stuff we deal with as kind of the modern local TV guy trying to. Uh, work for TV and work for social media at the same time. But lesson learned, notifications off when you're inside the locker room because I didn't have an extra hand 
to, to get rid of this stuff. I just had to keep rolling and keep going with it and just let everybody laugh at me for a few minutes. It was pretty funny. Yeah, the story of your life. you got to think on your feet and just roll with yep. the punches constantly. What are your thoughts on, on the Burrow contract, Higgins, Logan Wilson? You know, we don't have to go crazy on those topics, but in general, what, do, what are you thinking for those three guys, particularly for Burrow? Yeah, I think Burrow gets done before the season starts. I, I don't know if the injury slows down the process of them announcing it because the Bengals, and especially Joe, a lot of times like to keep quiet when he's nursing an injury. So that, to me, I don't think it'll slow down the negotiations. It'll get done when it gets done. But just them announcing it and making Joe available because when he signs it, he's obviously going to have the big press conference talking about becoming the highest-paid player annually in NFL history, which I fully expect that will happen. But the question is, will Joe sign a five-year deal like we've seen Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and Justin Herbert sign here in the offseason, or will he sign one of those 10-year deals like Patrick Mahomes, who kind of sets himself up and kind of wipes his hands clean and says, I'm done, I'm taken care of. I tend to think Jones will be five years just because he understands there are going to be other quarterbacks that come along that set the market again. And in five years, Joe can get an even bigger contract uh, to keep outpacing whatever new quarterback comes along that gets the next huge deal that'll pass Joe up. So I, I expect it to be uh, higher than Justin Herbert, but I expect it to be five years. And uh, the question is, and you mentioned T. Higgins and Logan Wilson, Joe has said now multiple times when asked about it that he has the rest of his team in mind when he puts together this deal. Now, that's Joe saying that, and Joe is involved in the process but he's got a very good agent, and his agent's going to get Joe everything he deserves. And I think that's important for Joe, and I think he deserves it. And so it's going to be this really interesting balancing act, Frank, to, of, of Joe understanding that he wants to keep T. Higgins. He wants to have a good defense around him. But also at the same time, understanding that when you're Joe Burrow and you play at the level you play at, you're the most important not only player on this team, but one of the most important football players in the world, you have to be compensated that way. It's just fair. And so that to me is what's going to be interesting. I talked to Mike Brown the week of uh, training camp before it started. Uh, my gut feeling after talking to Mike was it's going to be difficult for them on their end. They see this to keep T and Joe. That was kind of how I felt coming out of it. Now T has been a bit cryptic since with his tweets, with his interviews. Uh, and even Joe has come out and said uh, in one of his press conferences that Yes, they understand they're trying to keep T. Higgins, and they will work to make sure that happens. But uh, until it happens, I am of the belief it's going to be hard for the Bengals to pay Joe Burrow as a number one quarterback, pay Jamar Chase next year as a number one wide receiver, and then have to pay T. T Higgins like a number one guy because that's what he is. He is a borderline number one guy, would be a number one guy on a lot of teams, and his agent and his team understands that that he has to be paid like that so uh that's a long way for me of saying it's going to be hard i think joe's aware of it i think the Bengals are aware of it and i think also t's side is very aware that he needs to get paid now whether that's in cincinnati or somewhere else and i think that's going to be challenging for the Bengals to keep all three yeah that's understandable and that's every Bengals fan's dream and nightmare you know keeping higgins or losing higgins uh, you know i think maybe they might even like you said, Burrow might be a little more friendly with his deal maybe in the first year or so, so Higgins can get paid. But these guys do have to think of their own business because, you know, once their careers decline, the NFL doesn't care about them either. So it's like, get your money while you can. So I'm not going to fault anybody for doing anything. I kind of wish that Burrow would sign a 10-year deal, but it, it totally makes sense. And he's too savvy for that 
because you're right. Even even by next year or two years from now, his his salary is going to be considered low for the new guys that are getting deals. So it does make sense that he's going to do a five year, and I do agree with you on that. Back to training camp. Who's standing out the most right now to you? I'll give you a few names, and I'll start at the top because I think Bengals fans will like to hear this. Jamar Chase has been different this training camp, and Jamar Chase is just hes a different human being altogether. He was his first training camp. Certainly people talked about the drops. There were some drops last year, but Jamar always looks really good during training camp. He looks exceptional during this training camp, and I think that needs to be noted and understood by Bengals fans. It feels like Jamar is reaching his absolute peak right now. He looks different. I mean, he's been talking about Cam Taylor-Britt and how impressed he is with Cam Taylor-Britt as looking like a number one corner, and that's another guy who has stood out so far here in a few days of training camp. But Jamar is toying with Cam Taylor-Britt when they go 11-on-11. It's really impressive uh, to see what – it's small things with Jamar, too. There was a beautiful ball – Jake Browning threw them down the sideline. It's on my Twitter. People want to find it. And you'll just see how Jamar is, his his body control, his late hands, his feet. uh, He's just, he looks different. He looks exceptional. To me, he's jumped out as being the best player so far in training camp. And I know that can say, duh, look, he's one of the best players in the NFL. But yeah, it looks different this time. So I think Bengals fans... Uh, need to understand that going into this season, Jamar looks better than he ever has before. DJ Turner, rookie, corner, has been making a lot of plays so far during training camp. And I think to me, people always ask me, I've done a lot of radio interviews here in the offseason, they ask me, you know, what's a Bengals weakness? And, you know, I don't don't know if it's a weakness, I think it's just a question mark, the safeties with Jesse and Bond being gone now, and now you have Dax Hill and Nick Scott playing safety. But I kind of lumped the secondary all together just because we didn't know that Chidabe Owusier would be back and cleared for day one of training camp. That's remarkable. He's looked quick. He's looked like himself. We'll see when that what happens when he starts playing real football come here a couple weeks. But for him to be back, Cam Taylor-Britt continuing to develop into what Jamar Chase says looks like a number one corner. And then Mike Hilton is Mike Hilton, one of the best slot corners in the entire NFL. I go from the corners with the depth of DJ Turner now to to maybe being a strength of the defense if Cheeto returns to what he was before his injury. So uh, the two people that have stood out to me so far have been Jamar Chase and just the next level he's gone to. And DJ Turner being more than just a fast guy. He's made plays on the football. He's been physical, more physical than I thought he would be. And then the last one would be, I'm impressed by the presence of Orlando Brown. And that that was a big splash for the Bengals. And it's not just training camp. It's been the whole offseason. He's immediately walked into a room that has dominant players, dominant personalities. And he's been one of the go-to guys as far as leadership, as far as a spokesperson for the team. It kind of feels almost like a Ted Karras-like addition to this team where it's not just about football. It's about personality. It's about a person in the room that makes a difference. He's been that guy. And then when he's on the field, he's super athletic, been very, very impressive how athletic he is. So those are the three guys that have stood out to me so far at training camp. Jamar's next level, DJ Turner adding depth to the secondary, and Orlando Brown adding more than just football to his role here with the Bengals has been very impressive so far. And again, not just in training camp, Orlando's been that 
since day one of the offseason. That's great news to, to find out that your your second best player on the roster is excelling, that your top free agent is excelling, and the second round corner that you took is excelling. I mean, that's just such good news for Bengals fans and the organization. Joe, let's move on to the Ring of Honor very quickly. Do you agree with the two selections? And if not, would you have added someone else in there? No, I, I said when it happened, those are the two I would vote for, and I, for, for multiple reasons. First of all, Boomer Esiason has an MVP, has a Super Bowl appearance, and he is Boomer. He's, he's a little bit different in Cincinnati. It's a quarterback who had a little bit of personality and flair. He just, to me, he screams 80s Bengals football. Now, I'm an 80s kid, and I know Ken Anderson had part of that decade, but for me to grow up, he's what I grew up with at quarterback. He, he made the play-action fake different. He made it cool. Uh, he took the Bengals to a Super Bowl. So for Boomer, and he's a quarterback, you know? I mean, come on. If a quarterback wins an MVP, he needs to be in your ring of honor. Ken Anderson's always already there. Boomer had to be there. And then Chad, I mentioned the word cool. Chad is just as uh, synonymous with Cincinnati football nationally uh, as I can think anybody is of my generation. He's the guy that made Cincinnati football cool nationally. Boomer made it cool locally. Chad made it cool nationally. And he's still an ambassador for the Bengals because, I mean, look, you turn on the World Cup and there's Chad. He's on set at the World Cup working for Fox. It's amazing. This guy uh, has, has turned his football career and personality into this brand nationally, globally, with the World Cup the way he has. So those were two slam dunk picks for me, um, and I'm glad they're both going in. It's going to be a great night, Monday Night Football, the Rams having the Super Bowl rematch uh, here in Cincinnati, and having those two go in. Those two, to me, uh, were slam dunk picks. I, I would have wished they would have gone in even sooner, but I, I understand uh, you know, the people that have gone in before them are very much deserving as well. But I, I think you're looking at two of the bigger personalities in Bengals history going in together, I think makes for a great night. I agree with you 100%. And prior to them being selected or elected, I was thinking that those should be the two guys as well. Uh, last question for now. Assuming that we're healthy for the most part, what are you forecasting for the season, this tough division, and this tough AFC conference for the Cincinnati Bengals? I'm forecasting the Bengals to be back in the mix again, and that's all you can ask for is put yourself back in the tournament and then see what happens on any given Sunday against these great teams in the AFC. I'll, I'll kind of dial that down and drill down on the AFC North. I'm of the belief, and I've been of the belief the last couple of years, that if the Bengals are one, the Ravens are 1A. They're right there built to challenge the Bengals to win the AFC North. Simply for them, it comes down to, can Lamar Jackson play a healthy season? And, and no one knows. And no one knows if that'll be the case. If that's the case, they're going to be right there with the Bengals because they are built as an organization to win football games and win a lot of them. And we saw that last year, even with Lamar's injury. They were right there up until week 17, week 18 against the Bengals. So to me, it, it's, it's a Bengals, it's a Ravens division. Certainly expect the Browns to take a jump this year with Deshaun Watson now having a full offseason, having a full season ahead of them, and again, a team that's built to give the Bengals problems. Pittsburgh's going to be Pittsburgh. They're always going to be competitive. They're going to win more games than you expect, despite having the worst quarterback in the division. Uh, so to me, it's, it's Bengals-Ravens division uh, for them to battle out. And then once you get to the AFC playoffs, the Bengals are right there with the Chiefs. They're right there with the Bills. They're right there with the Ravens and all the great teams in the AFC 
that depending on health and depending who plays well that day will win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. So all I can think of and all I can think you can ask for as a Bengals fan is have a team that's good enough to be in that spot. And the Bengals, healthy, are good enough to be in that spot. And we all know that. They're going to be there for a long time as long as Joe Burrow is healthy and Joe Burrow is surrounded by good talent like he is now. So uh, to answer the question, they're one of the three or four best teams in the AFC. They're probably one of the four or five best teams in all the NFL. And every year that starts, it just depends on health when you get to the playoffs. Who's healthy? Who plays well that day? is the team that goes on to the Super Bowl. So uh, the Bengals are certainly on that short, short list of teams that can do that. And I don't think that's any different than what we looked at from last year. And I agree with you. They have the talent to do it. We've proven that we can beat the Chiefs. We've proven we can beat the Bills. We've proven we can beat the Ravens. But like you said, it's going to be any given Sunday. You need a few things to go your way. You need a couple of breaks. You need to be relatively healthy. And you need a little bit of luck. So I guess we'll, we'll see what happens as the season goes by. But I'm predicting big things as well. Joe, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time out. It's so informative. You give people more than the average podcaster can give because you're right in the mix. You're in that locker room. You're behind the scenes. So this is invaluable just for me to hear personally. And I know the listeners are going to love it as well. So thank you very much. Frank, I always enjoy doing this. It's, it's fun to step back and kind of and look at the bigger picture of, of the Bengals and, and what it means and, and share some stories because a lot of these, a lot of times, these stories just kind of, there's no, there's no place to put them. So this is, a lot of times, it's, uh, it's fun to do the proverbial, you know, notebook dump and, and just bring back all these great stories of things you've seen uh, that you maybe you don't have a chance to report on or you forget to report on them that day. So, to bring back some memories and talk about some fun things. It's, it's always a great time, and I appreciate you having me. How can people find you on social media? At Fox19Joe is the easiest place to go. Um, you mentioned it. My social media following went pretty wild the night of DeMar Hamlin uh, when I had some information from the sideline on his condition, how he was doing, and the update of what the Bengals and Bills were going to do that night. Um, so I, I'm in this new world of trying to navigate more followers than I know what to do with. It's been a different experience inside my mentions and notifications uh, the last six, seven months, but uh, there's an insatiable need for NFL news uh, for people, not just Bengals fans, because obviously I have more than just Bengals fans following me now. So uh, at Fox 19, Joe is the easiest place. And, you know, we're at training camp every single day. We're at every Bengals game, home and road. So it's a great follow just because I'm given the privilege of the access I get to cover the team. And so I, I, I try to give the fans as much as I see. I try to give them that experience as well. Great stuff. And we all know that Joe Burrow is known as Joe Cool, but Joe Daneman is also Joe Cool. So thanks again, my friend. You're welcome, Frank. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.